On this extra edition of Behind the Idea, we take one more look at PG&E. We speak with Alexandra Skaggs, a writer for Barron's, about the twists and turns of this story. We spoke the morning of a Citibank upgrade that sent shares flying, but she sounded a note of caution about their analysis. So I think that Citigroup's upside case, I think that they have... Uh, they're they're very optimistic. Oh, their yeah, their price target is thirty three dollars, which I think is like the extreme bullish case because you know the if the regulators put a huge fine on PG and E after this, I mean that does come out of shareholders' pockets again. Beyond the political issues, we discuss the way these wildfire liabilities might persist and pile up for the California utility company. Uh, I was talking to a couple of analysts about this, and I think that they use the words potentially unlimited. Which, you know, if you're if you're a company facing an intent potentially unlimited amount of costs, you should probably rethink your not, structure. Not great. That's not great. Yes. Inverse condemnation, climate change, proxy battles, and political theater all come into the picture for PG&E. Do shareholders make it out of this with anything left? We discuss on this week's Behind the Idea. Welcome to Behind the Idea. I'm Daniel Schwartzman. And I'm Mike Taylor. We're following up on our recent podcasts on PG&E, ticker symbol PCG, the California utility that is facing serious liabilities related to California wildfires and that has filed for bankruptcy protection. We're joined on this call by Alexandra Skaggs, a journalist at Barron's who has also written for the Financial Times, Bloomberg, Wall Street Journal, and Institutional Investor. She's also a great follower on Twitter. She recently wrote an article for Barron's on why you shouldn't trade PCG's bankruptcy proceedings, and we wanted to get into the hows and whys of the situation. Before we get started, a couple quick notes. Behind the Idea is the podcast that looks at what makes great investment analysis work, building on ideas from the Seeking Alpha ecosystem. None of us have any positions in any stocks discussed. Nothing on this podcast is meant as investment advice of any sort. And this is a fast-moving situation. We're recording this on Tuesday, February 19th. Hopefully, it'll still be up to date by the time you're listening. So with that, let's get started. Welcome, Alex. Hi, how are you guys? Doing great. Thanks so much for yeah, great. coming on. So I said it was a fast-moving situation. The news today, the stock is stock seems to be up every time we talk about it, weirdly. And the news today is the... A note that came out from Citibank upgrading the stock. So what are your thoughts? What's the story there? What's going on right now? Well, it looks like the reason or one of the main reasons that Citigroup uh, upgraded the stock is uh, the California governor last week started talking about pulling together, I think what he called a strike team, which is basically like a whole team of experts that he wants to use to take PG&E through bankruptcy. So. I mean, just to give a little bit of background, I mean, California, California utilities have this law basically called inverse condemnation, or it's, I guess that's the sort of like idea there. And that says that if a utility's equipment is involved in starting a fire, then that utility can be held liable for the damages caused by the fire. And so obviously, (laughs) there were a lot of fires in California over the past couple of years. And that's what ended up pushing PG&E into bankruptcy. And because basically this is such a political situation, the comments from the governor, I guess, are giving people a little bit more confidence that 
California politicians do want to sort this out. So the the inverse condemnation and the potential to sort of spread around the liability or to or, or for the utility to be held liable. How unique is that? How unique is this for PCG as compared to other utilities? And and have you seen stories like this in general, just in your time in the markets? So this is a pretty unique case, I think. It's like a very 2019 story, I think, just because, you know, on one hand, the inverse condemnation law has been around for a really long time. On the other hand, you know, sort of climate change and other like more volatile weather have been causing a lot more really extreme weather events and droughts and fires. So even though utilities have been held responsible for fires in California for I'm actually not sure when this was introduced, but it's been it's been quite a while. But this, I think, is the biggest liability that they've faced because of wildfires. And I know that um, actually PG&E has filed for bankruptcy before, but that was more due to um, the sort of energy markets after deregulation and didn't necessarily have to do anything with like the weather or such uh, damaging fires. So that's something that I wanted to explore actually a little bit, which is just, it seems like from what we've, we've, we've talked to somebody else following this story and we've also been reading about it quite a bit. And it seems like this inverse condemnation has always been the lay of the land for California dating back to however long, but it almost seems like and I can't think of any case offhand, but it does seem like a very, you put it as a 2019 story, like the climate change, climate has, you know, it makes something like this more prone. And so all of a sudden, what seemed like a normal and fine, fine way of doing things with inverse condemnation, now all of a sudden you have this ongoing potential for fires to spark and for then the liability to, to fall on PCG, I mean, it just seems like it. it's almost the first, I don't know, maybe this is overstating it, but it seems like it's the first climate change bankruptcy or first major climate change driven story in the markets. Is that uh, is that an overstatement or, or what do you think about that? No, I, I don't think so at all. Um, I think someone, maybe it was the journal. I'm not sure if it was their op-ed pages or not, because it doesn't sound like a journal op-ed page story necessarily. But they were saying like, and, and I do think that a lot of analysts are saying that this is a really the first, I guess, big impact on markets of climate change. And it's interesting, because it raises the question of, you know, how is California's government going to deal with it? Because you know, you've got the federal judge in bankruptcy court, and they sort of do their thing in a very predictable, in a very predictable way. But because I mean, utilities basically rely on the government for all of their profit, right? Like the rates are set with like a reasonable profit in there for the utilities. And even the rates are litigated. So I, I think in this case, the regulators are just like so involved with this company, like start to finish, that this is really you know, almost the government's decision of like, how do we want this to go? You know, how do we want to save PG&E? Like, do we want to be seen as saving PG&E? Um, there are just a lot of moving parts. And it's interesting because a lot of them are political. Getting to that question, I'm curious about, and kind of back to the Citigroup note from today, I'm curious about how much power Gavin Newsom has 
and what kind of force this task force, what kind of force this task force might exert on the bankruptcy proceedings? How much power does the governor have to affect the outcomes here? Um, it seems like he's got a pretty significant say in the whole thing, right? Like, it's funny because when they first filed for bankruptcy, there were actually a lot of questions about whether it really needed to, because um, it had a decent amount of cash. It had a little bit of flexibility. Um, but I read one analyst note back at the time that said like, hey, you know, Gavin Newsom just got elected, right? Like he replaced Jerry Brown, I think in January or maybe last year. But because he's new, he wants to basically say like, this, this company fiasco was not my fault. Look, they filed for bankruptcy before I even, or they said they were going to before I even got into office. So like, I've, I've actually heard people say, and this is like speculation from coming from me, of course, but they were saying that the reason PG&E even filed for bankruptcy in the first place was because of Governor Newsom and because he was so newly elected, which I thought was pretty interesting. So I, I think with his, uh, with the task force and all that stuff, I mean, I think that it depends on the plan that he presents, but the fact that he's getting people together to present a plan, I think matters a lot. The, so, you know, your, your take previously, and again, every take we have kind of is behind the news, but your take previously is too many moving parts. And I'm, and so it sounds like one big unknown for peace PG&E was, what Gavin Newsom's stance would be and without knowing uh-huh. without knowing too much about him there was the, there was a really good story on him in the New Yorker or somewhere about how he has you know a, a, a democrat in California can have sort of the free run of things so they don't really have to commit to too much but what do you like what what stands out to you as sort of the key unknowns that really have to be figured out if that was one of them how how the task force evolves and how uh Newsom sort of plays his hand. What else do you think are sort of the major things that have to be cleared up in this process to to make it even calculable what what's going on with the equity? Right. Um, I so I think one of the big factors here is going to be the idea of these stress tests that California is doing, and by stress tests they mean that they're going to try to figure out how much of the damage from wildfires in I think 2018 for sure, or 2017 for sure. I'm sorry, and then maybe 2018 if they fix the if they fix the law, they're going to figure out how much of the damages from those PG and E can handle while still providing energy to the customers because like they have to balance all of these all of these different constituencies, right? Like most Californians get energy from somewhere, and and I think PG and E is one of the biggest, if not the biggest, uh, utility in California. And so, you know, the government doesn't necessarily want them to stop serving people. So the utility regulator, the CPUC, is actually going to come up with a number, basically, and say, okay, we think that it can handle this much of losses from uh, 2017. And then anything above that, they will be able to pass along to their, uh, to their customers. And obviously, like, power customers don't necessarily want to buy that or pay for that all at once. Um, so that what the company might do then is take that big lump sum and securitize it and basically like put it onto the market like a bond so they can then smooth out the cost over time. 
and it's a little complex. So hopefully, <laughs> hopefully that makes sense. But again, it's it's kind of funny because the regulator is basically just going to pick a number and say, okay, we think that's the most they can handle. And that's going to be the, the cost for 2017 wildfires that PG&E suffers. So that's really interesting to me. I, maybe I'm not quite getting it right, but it almost sounds like the, the government of California is trying to extract value from PG&E to earn compensation for the damages done by the wildfires. On the other hand, they're forming a committee that's enabling the company to pass the cost of those fines onto the customers who are probably largely California taxpayers for whom the government works. So this is a like weird sort of and voters, yeah. buckets of sand being thrown into each other kind of thing. That, that actually is a pretty good way to describe it, I think, because... On one hand, you know, the governor does, and, and just the legislature in, in general, people do seem to want to, like, be seen as making PG&E pay. Like, they, they're like, okay, well, the company's equipment started some of these fires, lots of people died, but, you know, someone has to, someone has to take responsibility for it, and it's not going to be the government, because, I mean, it wasn't necessarily their equipment that started any of it, but at the same time, they do realize that, if their voters' rates go up super quickly all at once, or if their voters aren't getting quality service, like that's going to be even worse. So, because PCG or PCG or PG&E is a utility, they do have a little bit of, I guess, negotiating leverage because they can always sort of make the final threat of like, "Listen, we can't keep the lights on if you guys charge us this much." So it's almost like a negotiation. Well, and it's just because there's only so much that, like, ultimately, no matter how you decide where the burden falls, like, there's going to be some set payments that they have to make, insurance claims or whatever else. They're going to have to go pay people to make them whole for these, for the damages done and so on. But then they o- there's only so much money they can have. And it seems like once you get down to that, there are only a few variables. Like you said, how much do they raise the rates or how much do they, you know? And, and so it would seem like, it, and that's where maybe the, you know, the, the message of stay away makes sense. It would seem like in all of that, it's hard to make a case that, or maybe, maybe I'll rephrase this as a question. Like what role even if we step out of the PG&E case right now, what role do the equity markets or do the bond markets play for a utility if it is so heavily regulated by the government? Like it seems like there's, it's a very narrow slice of the pie that is given over to shareholders or bondholders. Is like, how do you, how do you, for utilities in general, and then maybe for this case in specific, what role do those markets play? Yeah, that's a really helpful focus, I think, because in terms of, you know, when, when we ask, like, who's going to pay, the implied answer to that is PG&E's shareholders. Because on one hand, you have the shareholders who are trying to retain as much value as they possibly can in the company. But because it's in bankruptcy, I mean, shareholders come in last, dead last, pretty much every time. So because of that, um, I mean, Citigroup saying that the company will probably be able to maintain a lot of its value 
and that there will be a lot left over for shareholders when once the claims are paid and once the um, bondholders are paid, um, which would mean that the share should rise after it exits bankruptcy. Uh, but at the same time, I mean, uh, an, an official could say like, oh, no, we think that you should actually pay this much more. And that's not going to come out of bondholders' pockets or the wildfire victims' pockets necessarily, depending, of course, on what they actually find uh, PG&E liable for. You know, it's going to end up coming out. But, but at the end of the day, I guess the sort of damages paid is going to come out of shareholders' pocket. Because I think in this case, bondholders and wildfire victims are both considered unsecured creditors. So that puts them both a level above shareholders. If that makes any sense. Right. And the, does the, like, for example, does the city note or have you seen any convincing analysis of what the, what the potential claims could be? Because I think if you're trying to like what, from what you've said of the city now so far, like that makes sense for one half of why shares might be going up because there's going to be more attention paid to the equity. But ultimately if the claims are, you know, X, X amount at some point, it doesn't really matter how well-intentioned the task force is. So do they have any analysis of that or have you seen any? Uh, So I've seen a pretty wide range of estimates. So I think they've gone, I mean, I have to look back at my work because I have a terrible memory for numbers. But at the very beginning, they were talking about up to $30 billion in liabilities. But then the California fire investigators actually found that one of the most damaging fires from... 2017 or 20, it was called the Tubbs fire. And they found that PG&E is not responsible for that. So that actually reduced the size of their liabilities by quite a bit. Citigroup, I think says that they're estimating about 9 billion of wildfire liabilities. And and that's towards the lower end of what I've seen. Um, I've seen like 15, 18, you know, elsewhere. But then again, you know, with the different political situation, they could reduce the size of the liabilities that PG&E will have to cover. Um, but another another interesting twist is that not only are there the wildfire liabilities, um, there are also fines and other sort of one-off type charges that the regulators could impose. So if, say, like some regulator decides, oh, no, it looks like, you know, PG&E is going to get off easy in this one you know, they could very well just like slap another $5 billion of fines on them because the regulators do have a lot of leeway. So I think that Citigroup's upside case, I think that they have looking for their price target and struggling to find it, but uh, there was, they're very optimistic. Oh, their, yeah, their price target is $33, which I think is like the extreme bullish case because, you know, the if the regulators put a huge fine on PG&E after this. I mean, that does come out of shareholders' pockets again. Yeah, that's where the political theater aspect really does come in because it just, you almost, even if you want to keep the lights on, you almost can't allow, uh, unless the claims come in dramatically below what expectations are, you almost can't allow that. You cover a lot in your work on on bonds and just on you know the bond markets is there anything beyond the idea of securitizing the insurance claims is there anything else that stands out to you from PCG's case is there anything else going on in in that part of the story or is it more straightforward well i find it interesting i guess that the bondholders and the wildfire victims are basically in the same group 
it's not actually too often that you have sort of investors in the company and people who are like looking for stuff from the company, like, you know, a wildfire claimant or someone like that who are sort of co-negotiating because, I mean, obviously there are different groups of unsecured creditors, but they are the same place in the capital structure, which I find kind of interesting. And again, both of them come before the shareholders. So, Right. What what did you make of the reporting? There was, uh, I think Bloomberg was the one that reported it around Baupost Group supposedly buying a huge, huge position in the insurance claims. Like, what do you, and, and then there's also, I guess there are two, there are two interesting players outside of PCG here. There's Baupost Group for that, just, and just because it's, you know, Seth Carmen's fund and so forth, but also what's going on with Blue Mountain waging a proxy fight sort of in the middle of bankruptcy proceedings when potentially there may be bigger fish to fry or bigger issues to take care of. What do you, what do you make of those sort of those two players in, in this story? So the Baupost group story is interesting to me because there is a pretty robust market for insurance and reinsurance um, securities basically. And whenever you talk about climate change and about natural disasters, the insurance and reinsurance markets often have, you know, they've often covered it. You know, that's why, that's one of the reasons why this is the first big climate related bankruptcy case, because most other companies have like decent ideas of what their liabilities are, and then they can insure them. And you've got this massive market that's there to reinsure it and hedge. And it's, it's a complex market, but it's uh, really interesting and very sizable. And so I do, I think that's what's interesting about the Baupost Group story. And with Blue Mountain, the funny thing was, so I I wrote a little bit about Blue Mountain's arguments, and they're super interesting because, I mean, on one hand, they kind of have a point. Um, The directors of a company, um, depending on where the company is based, uh, generally do have a fiduciary duty to their shareholders, you know, not their bondholders, not their customers, but their shareholders. And because shareholders always come in last in a bankruptcy, you know, declaring bankruptcy, I guess, does sort of undermine the interests of the shareholders in a way. Um, But that's only if you're filing unnecessarily, which uh, I think that there are still some decent questions about whether PG&E needed to file or whether, I, I mean, there's a good case to be made that it did need to file. But it's, it's definitely, it's an interesting question about corporate governance and like who exactly a uh, California utility is, has a responsibility towards. Because like, is fiduciary duty all of it? Should the directors be thinking about customers? Should they be thinking about government? Like, it's just some like really sort of deeper, broader questions about corporate governance there. I really jumped at your comments about the insurance and reinsurance markets. And I was just wondering, based on your kind of look at that area of things with respect to climate change and global warming, is there anything visible in those areas of the market, insurance and reinsurance claims that kind of give a sense of what the financial industry is sort of thinking about with respect to climate change or disasters or anything like that? Do, do, the, do those markets react to large 
events or are there any trends that might be noteworthy? Maybe it's not so easy to observe, but I, I was really taken by that kind of observation of the connection between big, big shocks and the insurance and reinsurance industries. Yeah, so I think that um, reinsurance uh, companies in particular have been talking a lot about uh, just the growth opportunities in that in that area and for that market, mostly because, you know, when it comes to, I guess, like big weather events or big hurricanes, that, like that's one thing that the insurance industry is really good at, right? Like they're good at figuring out how much big weather events are going to cost. They're good at pricing that risk. <clears throat> and so I actually haven't, I haven't been able, I'm not sure how transparent or available the sort of broad market prices are. Um, but I would assume that insurance costs would rise if there were more really big weather events that were really risky, just because, you know, that's sort of what insurance does. What the interesting thing is with PG&E and with the other climate change stuff is that, you know, once you start getting things like wildfires, which is like a total toss up, it's not like a hurricane where you can sort of guess, okay, well, the damage here, here and here is going to cost this much. Um, it's more like these massive wildfires tore across the state and people weren't really sure how much it would end up um, costing at all. And so I, I think that like, depending on the event, I guess, you know, insurance, like if it's, like I said, if it's weather, like I think the insurance and reinsurance industries have that pretty much down. Um, but one of the things, actually another one of the risks of climate change is flooding and flooding insurance, like people don't really buy that as much as they should. So that's sort of another area where, you know, the insurance market itself doesn't have that fully covered. And so you could see, I guess, more, um, more uninsured problems, more settlements, more stuff like that. Yeah, it's, it's just an interesting, it's a really interesting market and it's not super transparent or widely covered. So it's definitely something I'm going to be looking at. It's interesting how the market sort of where people can put their money on the line, it doesn't obviously solve the problems caused by climate change, but it seems like it's a at least a more open acknowledgement of what's going on than is sometimes expressed in the political spectrum. And so it's kind of just interesting, that contrast there. Mm -hmm. at, le at least you can bet on it. <laughs> right. Yeah, yeah right. Uh, as long as you can underwrite something, it's, it matters. No, but it's super interesting because like, I guess from a market's perspective, I mean, if you can underwrite it and you can share the risk, then like, I mean, it's a problem, but like for markets, it does, it's not that big of a deal, but it's like the sort of non-covered risks. Like um, oh, there's some really good stats out there on flood insurance and I wish I had them with me, but like the flood insurance market is apparently kind of a mess um, just because people who need flood insurance tend not to buy it and there's no requirement or anything like that. And oh, also, and this is completely unrelated to, to climate change, but cybersecurity insurance is also a thing where people are like not entirely sure how big the costs could get. Right. And they're not sure whether things are going to get worse or like tougher to cover. So it's like, those areas I think that people get worried about, but everything else they're sort of like, Oh yeah, that's just a hurricane, <laughs> you know? 
just because the losses, I mean, for, for the insurance, like the insurance industry expects that kind of stuff to happen. Right. I mean, it's, I mean, insurance is basically built on using past results to predict future, future events. And so something like, yeah, yeah. you can't get very actuarial about cybersecurity if you don't really have that many inputs. Exactly. And the, for markets where like, I just think it's interesting that there are so many markets where they know that there's more risk than they're insuring right now. And yet like nothing's done about it, like in flood insurance, like that's what, cause they, they know also that there's going to be more flooding and more problems, but there's no regulatory action. So there's not much that they can do about it. Right. And that's, yeah. And that, that sort of, which almost brings us back to, to this case where even though the regulatory presence complicates the investing story, for example, like there are cases of market failure where, or market gaps where you do need a strong regulatory presence of some sort or some guidance. Right. Cause like people don't like buying flood insurance, especially if you live in like the Midwest and you're like, Oh, I don't live on a beach. Like why would I need flood insurance? But it turns out you're in a floodplain. <laughs> so anyway, I know I'm stuck on this, but it's like totally one of the, it's just one of the markets where things aren't actually priced in. I have it. I have it. I live on top of a hill, but I still have it. So <laughs> That's yeah, huge. I'm responsible. You yeah, are. I, yeah. You're a good market participant. Stopped. That's right. <laughs> uh, anyway. So, so maybe just a, a, a last question here is sort of PG&E, uh, they report earnings next week. What would you want to what would you expect to hear from them and what would you ask them uh, about like, what would you, what would be helpful to learn from the company at this point? That is a very good question. So in terms of what we're going to hear from them, I think we're going to hear a lot of like a lot of talk about stakeholders because these guys know that they're in the spotlight. They know that there's a lot of political risk, just no matter what they say. Um, So I think there's going to be, a lot of discussion about safety, a lot of discussion about, you know, making sure that their rates remain relatively low, a lot of talk about, you know, Californian voters, basically, which, you know, for good reason. And then I guess what I would want to know from them, just in terms of where where their shares might end up, um, I'd want to know how closely they're working with the governor's office and regulators and the legislature. And like, is this something they're talking to them every day, like several times a day? I just, I guess I would want to know whether this is something that's being directed by them or whether the relationship might be getting a little bit fraught because I was under the impression that, you know, they were doing all of the actions that PG&E was doing was um, sort of directed by regulators. But if there's any conflict there, I think that would be important for the shares. Well, and it seems like, I, I don't know if you're seeing bet or if you're doing any reporting or seeing anything better, but it seems like we could be here for a while in these proceedings. Like this is not going to be a very fast process. Is that fair to say? Yeah. Bankruptcy takes a while in general, though it will be, it will be interesting to see how quickly it exits because that's, that's the one thing that Blue Mountain now is pushing for 
is trying to get out, out of bankruptcy as quickly as possible. Um, and they're actually introducing an entire new board and a new slate of board candidates to try to push, I guess, the company in a little, in a way that would be a little bit more for the benefit of shareholders. But it will be interesting to see how that goes. I just wonder with Blue Mountain, I just wonder if there's still a little bit of they got wrong footed by the severity of the fires in Q4 and then potentially by the the company saying, no, actually, we need to file for bankruptcy. I I just each time I sort of review their filings, I agree with what you said earlier that the, the arguments are cogent and compelling on the one hand, but on the other hand, like it seems like they're they're still just looking for a little bit of a a way out of a losing position. I, I I don't know. I just seem it seems like they're they've been dealt a tough hand and they they can't acknowledge it. Does that does that do yeah. you see it that way at all? Yeah, because I always wonder what their end game is. Because say the company doesn't go through bankruptcy, in that case the legislature has less of a reason to change or, you know, adapt the inverse condemnation laws to try to make it easier for utilities to operate? And then do you just have sort of like a ticking time bomb? Like, is it just a matter of time until the next fire? Like what, I guess I wonder, like in the long term, what the point of staying out of bankruptcy is. Well, and that's, it it just seems like this is, there's no reason to Unfortunately, like this seems like this is going to be an ongoing event. The fires, like, I mean, as you kind of hinted. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, it just seems like you have this sort of ongoing liability pile that's going to be added to over time. And so I guess that's, yeah. part, I mean, that's part of what makes it interesting, I guess. Yeah. I mean, uh, I was talking to a couple of analysts about this and I think that they use the words potentially unlimited which, you know, if you're if you're a company facing an intent potentially unlimited amount of costs, you should probably rethink it's your not, structure. Not great. That's not great. Yes. Um, yeah. All right. Well, great. Well, thanks so much for speaking with us about this, Alex. It's really, I mean, there's there's like as you put it, and as we've said, like a lot of moving parts and just a lot to figure out here. But I think that was, uh, you know, the more light to shed on it the easier it's to figure this out and to figure out what it means for other utility stories or for what's going on in california specifically so really appreciate you taking the time to speak with us thanks for having me all right thank you bye thanks for listening to behind the idea i think we're done with pcg and we appreciate you joining us for three podcasts on the subject we're revisiting another 2019 episode next week as we'll be going over to Vita Healthcare with a bull and a bear. So stay tuned. Leave us a review on Apple Podcasts to help other investors find behind the idea. And email us at btipod at seekingalpha.com if you have any feedback, questions, or requests for future episodes. This has been a Seeking Alpha production. Thanks for listening and see you next week on Behind the Idea.